The day the tea grew cold. When I was a young girl, I used to play basketball and it turned out I was quite good at it. I say this not to boast, but to explain how I met Myra at the basketball tournaments. Though we were on opposing teams, something clicked between us, a friendship that seemed completely unlikely. I was always fun-loving and mischievous, running myself and my incorrigibly curly hair into all kinds of trouble. She was a quiet-natured girl who carried a stillness within her. She was a splendid, statuesque beauty even in those early teen years when I knew her. Hair smooth and silky, something between blonde and brunette, sneaking down the back of her basketball uniform in a luxuriant rope. That's what first caught my eye, her hair. To one who's always had to struggle to make her hair look like anything but a miserable tangle, that flaxen bell pull had an almost mesmeric fascination. How could anyone be so blessed? With my usual cheekiness, I went up to her one day at the courts and told her how simply fantastic her hair was and how lucky I thought she was. She was embarrassed, but polite enough to say that she'd, actually, always wanted curls. Ha, said I, only because she didn't know what a torment they were. We laughed over that and a small friendship was born. It was nurtured and developed on the courts. We met regularly even when we weren't playing each other. And we always found time for a small chat, often over a post-game pick-me-up of lemon juice. We talked of inconsequentials. School, movies, brothers, mine, or lack of siblings, hers, and which was better. Eventually, after many invitations, she came home one Sunday. She had to change trams at the Esplanade and I picked her up at the tram stop near my house and we walked the small distance home together. Mum fed and watered us munificently as per her norm and then left us alone to curl up on the sofas and chat and distracted the boys with stuff so that we could have a little time together. Dad was busy scribbling away at something as usual. We had a wonderful time. Dad and I dropped her home in the car late in the evening. A few weeks later, I went to her place to return the visit. No parents, she'd never spoken of them and even at that age, I knew not to bring up the topic. No siblings, but that I knew. Just an old granddad and grandma. The food was all unfamiliar, even the cakes and cheesy things thin glass, fine cutlery, and lace napkins, even for two little girls. But it seemed normal to Myra, and I just followed her lead. The two old people fussed over us lovingly, pressing us to have a little more of this or another piece of that, until Myra laughed us away from the table, saying we would burst. And the grandma said in that case, we shouldn't have another morsel because it would mean a lot of cleaning up for her if we did. We cozied up on the sofa for a natter. But my eye kept drifting towards a small 
glass case that was placed in a most prominent position on a table. I could see Myra wanted to avoid mention of it, but it drew my attention irresistibly. It looked like a tatty old woolen glove. Just one, you understand? No fingers, lots of holes, grey and quite small, a child's size. Why would anyone put anything like that in a glass case and give it a central position in one's living room? It was hardly a beautiful object. Its very incongruity made it disgustingly compelling. I could barely keep my eyes from it and wasn't really able to get into our girlish chatter at all. Eventually, Myra gave in and answered my unasked question. She said it was her granddad's. It was his only memento from Germany. Oh, I said, a memento from home, was it? But I could hardly help wondering to myself why it had to be kept in public, a dirty thing like that. It didn't fit in with all the pretty and tidy things in the house, lace and crystal and silver and carved furniture and mirrors. Sad that the old gent had brought only this filthy thing here with him from his home. I was surprised the grandma hadn't washed it before letting him put it in that glass case. But mum had given me her usual strict lecture on politeness before I left home, which my ears still tingled from. So I pushed the whole glass case and its grisly contents out of my head now that I knew its story and picked up the conversation with Myra again. The two old folks came out after their afternoon nap and the grandma bustled off to make tea. Myra rose to help her and I would have joined them but the granddad came and sat in the chubby chair next to his favourite object and had obviously been asked to keep me company while Myra was away. He smiled, and I could see him struggling to control his dentures. Now I come from a large family of aunts and uncles and grandparents, and I know old people love to talk of old times. They remember them vividly and nostalgically, and I find their stories enthralling sometimes. Well, often actually, though it's such a shameful thing to admit so I just let everyone think I'm being kind to the old folks. Well, the reality is that I love the stories they tell. And since they think they're so self-sacrificing of me, I get called a good girl and given treats for doing something I want to do in the first place. And that suits me fine too. So I hit my stride confidently with Grandad. Myra told me you came from Germany, I said. And that this glove is your only memento of home. It looks like you left as a child. Do you remember much? I'd love to hear. I don't know anything about Germany. I'm sure it must have been quite wonderful. I smiled encouragingly at him and settled myself down for some good stuff. None of my family and friends had stories of the old days abroad. Theirs were all stories of villages or cities in India and walking miles and miles to school and boring stuff like that, so I was quite eager. The old man just stared at me silently, and then he burst out laughing, and I didn't know what I had said that was so funny. He hauled himself out of that lumpy old chair and shuffled over to the sofa I was sitting on and plumped himself down beside me. 
He patted my cheek, which I found very irritating, and I tried not to cringe. You're a good child. See, I told you, I always get that remark. And you've given me a good laugh today, he said. So I'm going to tell you a story. I'll try not to make it scary, but it's a bad story with bad people in it. Still, I think everyone needs to know this story and that's why I keep that there, pointing to the glass case. We must remember, he said, we must never forget. And I must admit, I was half scared, half excited and one more half very intrigued. What scary story could this fluffy old man have to tell? He started to roll up his sleeves as if storytelling was such a physically arduous task and asked me what I knew about Europe in the mid-1900s. I admitted frankly that I knew nothing. After all, none of my family had been there and I didn't really have any access. While I was rattling on, he put his arm silently in my lap. I stopped mid-sentence and looked at him suspiciously but his gentle eyes indicated I should look at the arm. So I did. And the breath just got whisked out of my chest and I sat there staring, stunned, with his hand on my lap and my hand on my mouth. There was a long string of numbers tattooed on his arm and even I knew what that meant. I remember breathing heavily, forever. I had never got myself into such a predicament with my story seeking and I just didn't know how to react. Ages later, I turned my terrified eyes to his. But he was smiling gently with his soft, kind eyes and his clicking dentures. He started talking and nothing could have made me stop listening. He had been just a little boy, but that had made no difference to his tormentors. He had slaved, as had everyone else there, and cried himself dry of tears, and frozen in the cold, and slept, exhausted, and hidden from notice, and catched what food he could, and somehow gone on not knowing if it would ever end. But it had ended, and he had survived. And that wretched, miserable, rotten rag of a glove was glorious evidence that he had made it through. I was sobbing uncontrollably. Myra had tried to interrupt, to comfort me and quiet her granddad, but had shushed her away. I had to hear, I had to know. The afternoon raced into evening. The fluffy old man finally fell silent. Myra patted my knee as I snorted away my tears. The grandma sat crumpled at her elegantly laid dining table, looking somehow smaller and frailer than before. The tea had long gone cold, with no one interested in drinking it. We prepared a fresh pot and seated together at the table, Grandad and Grandma both told funny stories of how difficult they'd found it to adjust in Calcutta when they had come here before Myra and I were even born. 
all the mistakes, misunderstandings and frustrations of relocating in a foreign land with an alien culture and an incomprehensible language. We all laughed over heartily, washing away some of the earlier anguish. Soon it was time for me to leave, but not before I'd boldly asked if I might come again, mum's injunctions thrown to the winds. Of course, they said, I must. And Myra and I exchanged many more visits till she went away at the end of that year and I heard many strange and exotic stories from both the dear old folks. But never again did the granddad bring up his terrible memories and I, I was too polite to ask. <laughs>